as we continue our look at the transfiguration of Christ. This uh, series has been an absolute blessing to me, and I hope it's been to you. Uh, as I, I dig more into these uh, into these verses and to this uh, the meaning of certain things, I'm being blessed uh, by what and why God has done uh, during this time. So uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 says, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias, um, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face, and were sore afraid, and said, Be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man, save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man, until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. His disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must come first? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already. And they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's commit this time to him. And let's see what he has for us this morning in his word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you once again for this morning and for the opportunity to meet in this way. We do pray for your blessing upon us as we uh, listen to your word this morning. And I do pray that I will listen as well as you put those words in my mouth. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is a, a solid rock on which we can stand and which we can trust. And I do thank you that it has blessed us in so many ways that we have known our Savior, Jesus Christ, through it and that we are able to grow through it as well. So I do pray that we be attentive to what you have for us this morning. I pray for the working of the Spirit in each person's heart, and I do pray that we will be bearing much fruit for your glory in the coming days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm not sure if you've ever um, been called to be a witness in court uh, or to present a, a, a testimony uh, before people in that particular way, and it's a very serious matter um, when you do. Um, when, you, when you're a witness, one way or the other, you have an effect on an outcome uh, of a verdict or a, or a decision that's being made on behalf of someone else's life or livelihood, and uh, in some cases, um, uh, imprisonment. Um, witnesses are a very important uh, part of, uh, of society. Witnesses to violent or other crimes um, uh, make a, a big difference uh, to the outcomes of whether justice is actually um, uh, received or whether justice is not. And God thinks that witnesses are very important in the Bible. Uh, God, well, one, of the, one of the things, uh, one of the commands the Bible gives us is that shall not bear false witness. God doesn't want us uh, to never lie, to, to never to give false information to other people which may lead them astray into something else. And, and specifically the case uh, when you're in a court of law, um, when many people put their hand on the Bible and they swear by the Bible. And we know as Christians that Jesus is neither swear by anything in heaven or on earth. 
um, just simply say your yes is yes and your, your no is no. Um, but even in the, in the most perfect uh, or, the, or the, the best legal systems um, or judicial systems uh, in, in the world, um, they're still prone to error. People still are able to manipulate things and justice we see uh, is not always done. In fact, if at the protests that are occurring around the world today, um, there are plenty of injustices that are perpetrated that never come to justice, that never, that never receive justice. Um, there are thousands of people protesting um, regarding uh, George Floyd, and obviously that, uh, that video is pretty condemning when you, uh, when you look at it, and it's pretty hard to, uh, to not hear what's going on around, around the world. And many are calling out for justice, not just for him, um, but for what they perceive is actually injustice towards them as either a minority or, or a group or, or whatever. Um, we are experiencing those sorts of protests here in Australia as well. Um, so it's, it's, it's spreading uh, around the world. Um, obviously, a lot of people don't believe that justice is being done around the world. And as Christians, we, we'd have to agree with them. There is sin, sin is rampant around the world. Racism is, is, is existing um, in every country, not just in Australia or America or Europe. It, racism exists in every country. Um, in most cases, it's, it's suppressed. Um, but our, our hope as Christians is that justice would always be done because God loves justice. Um, and we should never uh, shirk away from uh, speaking the truth, You're always in love. But we also understand that it, it's evident that there are plenty of injustices that go unpunished in the world. There are hundreds and thousands of murders and, and injustices done from people to other, to other people, and many of those are never brought to justice. They just go un, you know, unsolved, um, or people are able to dodge the system. Now, I'm not just speaking about policemen here, uh, because obviously there's an element within, within police that, that uh, seeks to, uh, to do these sorts of things, but in every area of life, um, there, are, there are in every sphere of existence in this world, there are injustices that are being done. There are crimes being committed. Um, and that doesn't come necessarily from the outside because that's the fruit of what the main problem is. And the main problem is, is that man is a fallen creature. And so um, while the, the legal systems or the policing systems or the pol policing systems of this uh, world seek to control the outcomes um, of things, and seek to bring to justice where they can um, those uh, those things that are perpetrated. Um, the problem is really a heart problem. It's really a, a problem with the nature of man. And the Bible tells us that man is a fallen uh, creature. He is he has a fallen nature. So that fallen nature doesn't take long to actually come to the surface. Uh, it may be subdued. It may be uh, corralled, and that's why it's actually a good thing. The Bible says to have a government, to have a civil government that puts laws in place to protect citizens. Because if there were, and I know that, uh, and I've heard people's are uh, calling to defund the police. Well, if you have no police uh, and you have no law, then the situation is not going to get any better. It'll actually get worse 
because man's nature will then come out and actually, and what we see in some of these uh, protests, and I actually agree that you, you, we've got every freedom to, to protest, but you always see an element, or even of with the most, uh, when the group is uh, has uh, the most, the best intentions, there are going to be people within every group, okay? And that's within every church, that's within every uh, uh, institution in society. <clears throat> there are those people who take advantage of those things and they try to bring it their own way. So we see uh, in the US, for instance, while the majority of people are trying to protest, to send a message to their government that they want justice, which is fair enough, um, that's enshrined in their constitution, um, there are some who are seek who are using this opportunity to loot stores, burn things down, and cause rioting. And that doesn't bring justice. It, it seems to be hypocritical, even that that people who are saying that they, they, they want justice and seeking justice are then perpetrating injustices to other innocent uh, people and then using using their um, uh, their uh, their position to actually justify what they're doing um, so in every uh, area of society there is injustice in every area of society what we see is the result of man's fallen nature and witnesses play a, a, an important part because without witnesses, the Bible says, justice can, cannot be done. Uh, we're going to look at that this morning um, as, we, as we look at these two witnesses that arrive on the scene on this mountain when Jesus is transfigured before his disciples. Let's, let's, let's bring us to where we are at the moment. So we've looked at the reasons the Lord brought his disciples up to that mountain. We understood that um, that he was, he knew he was going to obviously uh, be crucified. He actually knew it from the beginning, uh, but now he wanted to start letting his disciples know that this was the case, um, and he was preparing them for that uh, time. We have looked at the uh, the reason for the actual transfiguration itself. Um, that was to identify who Jesus actually was to verify him uh, in front of these uh, three disciples, or we would call them three witnesses. Um, that. Jesus was exactly who Peter and the other, other disciples had actually professed, that he was namely the, the Christ, the Messiah, the sent one, and that he was the Son of God as well. God the Father himself testified that this was his beloved Son in whom he was well pleased. So now we have, and we reach a point where we're going to examine the particular, the arrival of two peculiar uh, uh, individuals um, appearing alongside Jesus when he. Now it says that those two men were Moses and Elijah, and it would seem that the disciples recognized them as such. Matthew seventeen three says, "And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here." If thou wilt, let us make here the three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. So one of the first questions that might come to mind to you is, um, when you read this passage, is how did Peter, James, and John recognize who they were? I mean, it wasn't as if they could, they looked them up quickly on Google, like we would with our mobile phones today, and say, show me a photo of uh, who Moses is, and show me a photo you know, of, of Elijah. Well, how did they do that? They didn't have a, any photographs of them. I don't think there are any printed uh, pictures of uh, of Moses or Elias. And the only 
real description we have of either of these two individuals. With Moses, it says that he just had a white beard when he came off that mountain, that he was glowing. I don't, he may not have been glowing in this particular case, but um, and and the only description, real description we have of Elijah, the Bible says, is that he was a hairy man. Now I'm not sure how hairy you have to be to be recognized as Elijah, but um, not much of a description really uh, when it comes to these two individuals. So how could they have known? So well, Luke gives a little bit more information. And it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 30, if you have your, if you want to turn with me there, there's a few verses that might shed some light on how they may have known that these two individuals were Moses and Elijah. Oh, in this, in this particular rendering, it's Elias. Um, Luke 9, 30 says, And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and, and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he sees. So you'll notice that Luke gives us a little bit more information about this this, uh, this particular event. Matthew just gives it to you, bang, you know, they appeared. Peter then says, you know, we're going to, oh, how about we build these three tabernacles for you? Um, and, and Luke sort of puts in a little bit more um, uh, detail with respect to what was going on. It says that they were actually having a conversation um, about his decease. It was a conversation taking place in front of these disciples. Um and they saw them, okay? So obviously the three disciples, it says they were, they were asleep. Remember that it says they'd gone up to pray to this mountain. They'd fallen asleep. Jesus had continued to pray. He was glorified. That light woke them up, essentially. Um, and then when they opened their eyes, they see Jesus, Moses, and Elijah having a conversation or talking. And it says Moses and Elijah, one represents essentially the law and the old of the Old Testament, and the other, the Pilatus says that they spake of his decease. Well, his decease essentially means his death, which would be accomplished at Jerusalem. Okay, so there was a conversation taking place about the coming crucifixion of Jesus. And verse 33 indicates that at some time, at some time went by, because it says. This conversation wasn't a one or two sentence conversation. This conversation was actually a, a conversation about this particular subject. So there was detail around it. Um, it says, and it came to pass. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that the conversation was, was not just a, a one-liner. This was a conversation that was going on between the three of them. And we'll look at the purpose of that in a minute. And they spoke about the crucifixion of Jesus. No doubt... What's the purpose of Moses and Elijah having a conversation with Jesus in front of the disciples? Because God doesn't do anything without a reason. Um, speaking about his, his death, do you remember what they had gone up for? They had gone up to because Jesus had, was preparing them now for that very reason. Um, they may have uh, joined Jesus believing that he was the Messiah and that he was going to reign as the king and they were going to be sitting in his right hand and his left ruling uh, Israel and, and, and possibly the world. So Jesus had to prepare them for this change or this shift, that they were now going to not be automatically just sitting and ruling 
and, uh, and, and riding into Jerusalem and being accepted as the new king. But because he was being rejected by the, uh, the, the rulers uh, of Israel and by the, uh, by the religious leaders of Israel, um, that, they, that he was preparing them for his death. Now, as I said to you last time, that it would have been a pretty hard pill to swallow for them. This was something that, that wasn't a light thing. This is not saying, this is not something like what we've been going through with COVID-19 that says, oh, we need you to, to social distance or to spend more time in your home. This is, no, you're going to, I'm going to die. And I'm, you're going to probably die along with me. And, uh, and this is how it's going to be. And so the disciples needed uh, that encouragement. And so this conversation that takes place between Moses and Elijah was no doubt confirming the prophecies in the Old Testament in the in the books of Moses. Okay, so the first five books of the, of the Bible written by Moses, and then Elijah was probably sharing all those verses in the um, in the in the Old Testament with respect to the prophecies that the the other uh, prophets had uh, delivered concerning his death. They were there to testify to those three disciples. That conversation took place for a reason. And that conversation probably would have been there for some time. And if you look at it, um, it actually says that, well, Peter was obviously very excited about what he saw. He was obviously ecstatic. And when he goes, oh, it's good for us to be here. It's good for us to be here. He comes up with that, uh, that idea. Um, he obviously wanted to wanted more so the three disciples were there watching and listening to a conversation that went on between jesus moses and elijah uh, and now while matthew matthew simply records that peter comes up with this bright idea to build three tabernacles one for each of them um luke gives us a few more details uh, in the middle which would tell me that how they came to know there were moses and elijah is probably because in those conversations they introduced themselves or Jesus introduced them in that conversation about who they were. One of the, uh, one of the first things you do when you are a witness in a court of law is that you identify who you actually are. Um, and I'm sure that those, those two witnesses that we have next to Jesus um, identified who they were. And so Peter, James and John, would have known it from that conversation that took place between Jesus and those two. It's interesting that the many commentators suggest that the tabernacles uh, were there to honour the appearance of those three. That Peter came up with this fandangled idea about oh, let's let's make you Jesus a, a tabernacle, you know Moses a tabernacle and and Elijah a tabernacle. Um, and I think some people bring it to a place where it's not supposed to really go. I don't believe Peter was suggesting that a tabernacle was like the Old Testament tabernacle, um, which was meant to be a place of worship for God, as if he was suggesting in any way that Elijah or Moses should be worshipped um, like that. Um, although he may have thought this would be a good thing to honour them and, and Jesus as well. Um, but remember that the temple was already in place. There was already a place uh to worship God in those days. So building uh, what was essentially a tent um, would not have been something that was permanent. Remember, a tabernacle is not a memorial. And remember in the Old Testament, when God said, I want you to put a marker in this particular place to remember 
uh, what I did for you here. And he did that in a number of places in the Old Testament. And they were meant to erect stones and things, and those things were meant to be there as a permanent reminder about what God did at that particular point for his people. Now, a tabernacle is really just a tent. It's not a permanent marker. It's not really built to last, um, especially the way G that Peter was suggesting. Let's, let's build three tabernacles for you up here. Uh, I think there was a completely uh, another motive for this. So that, that Luke adds that further little detail that Peter made this suggestion as Moses and Elijah, if you look at it, were leaving. So the conversation had taken place and in, in Luke's passage, it says as they were essentially as they were leaving, as they were beginning to depart, or maybe they turned turned to, uh, to the side and, and began to walk off. This conversation was coming to an end, and Moses and Elijah were heading back home. And I think the desire for Peter was not just to for them having come, but it was hopefully, I believe, an encouragement for them to stay longer, because. You think of it, as they're leaving, Peter then says, oh, it's good for us to be here. Let me make for you three three little tents for each of you. Look at Luke 9.33. It says, and it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make, uh, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. And Luke then says, not knowing what he said. Remember, a tabernacle is just a tent. It's simply an older way of saying a tent, a temporary housing by its very definition. And I think when you look at the, the circumstances in this, in this thing and what was going on, Peter was enjoying this so much. Peter was so enthralled by what was going on, by the fact that he was seeing Jesus with Elijah and Moses, men who had existed hundreds and, and, and more than a thousand years before he was born, men that he'd only read about in the or heard about in the Bible, he didn't want it to end. And this seems to be the case, especially since his request is directed straight at Jesus. Um, it may have been to persuade Jesus to get them to stay longer rather than going on, letting them go on their way. He quite literally says, hey, I love being here. It's great, Lord, to be here. Please let me make, let me make three tents for you, one for each of you. You know something? If I was Peter, if I was in Peter's shoes and I was up on that mountain that day and I am witnessing a conversation between Jesus, Moses and Elijah talking together, I probably wouldn't have wanted to end either. I probably would have come out with something to say, don't finish it. This is fantastic. I'm, I'm loving this conversation. Can you imagine the conversation between Moses, Jesus and Elijah? That those those three having a conversation about the word of God and about prophecy and about where, how Jesus would save the world. I mean, that would be an amazing conversation to listen to. So I probably may have done something like Peter did, which was essentially say, you know what? How about we build you three tents so you can we can we can stay here for longer. Maybe the sun maybe the sun was going down. Maybe the sun was coming up. Maybe it was too hot. For them, I don't. I don't know what the circumstances was, but you build a, a, a temp. You build a uh, sorry, a, a shelter or a tent for a temporary sort of place to stay. But think about this for a moment. Can you imagine one day 
when we get to sit down in heaven with these Old and New Testament saints. Have you ever considered having a conversation and what and how that conversation would go with someone like Noah or Abraham or Elijah or Moses or King David or the Apostle himself? What would you ask them? If you had a chance to sit down with these or one of these in heaven, what would you ask them? How would that conversation go? Where would it, where would it lead? How much time would you want to spend talking about their story? Have you ever wondered that? Because I suspect that, that much of our time in heaven will be a lot about conversations about the way God has worked in people's lives. I mean, I'm sure if we got a chance to sit down with Peter and he um, and you got a chance to ask him, you know what, you know that day on that mountain when you were up there and you and you saw Jesus and, uh, and, and Moses and Elijah, how did you feel? You know, did you have fear about what was coming up and, and how did that conversation actually go? What were they talking about? What exactly were the details of, of that conversation? How did you react when Jesus started glowing and shining like the sun? What were you feeling? And I think a lot of those, uh, a lot of those conversations will take place because I think it will be just amazing to see how God has worked in the lives of these people and how he was glorified through them. Now, well, I imagine, you know, when Peter sees Moses and Elijah, he may have, well, apart from being overwhelmed by seeing two men uh, who, whom he had only read about in the Bible standing in front of them, the desire for them to be there longer with them would cause them to speak uh, before uh, he thought about what he was saying. Um, I suppose we've all done that at times ourselves. Sometimes the emotions become too strong and we say things and then think back, oh, what did I say there? And I think it would have been this way for Peter, although I think this reveals his heart. It's a bit funny when you notice what Luke adds at the end of that verse. He says he didn't know what he was talking about, not knowing what he said. In other words, he had no idea what he was saying. You could say the excitement got the better of him. But you also might ask, why did Moses and Elijah appear? Why not some others? I mean, why didn't Abraham arrive? Why didn't someone, some other prophet arrive in the Old Testament? Why didn't Isaiah uh, arrive uh, to be with them? Well, in a nutshell, as I've mentioned already, Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. So those two are representative of those two parts of the Old Testament. You may have heard the phrase, the law and the prophets, mentioned a number of times in the Bible. Well, the law and the prophets is a summary, essentially, of the Old Testament. The law was written by Moses, and they, they confirmed the first five, or they are the first five books, which contain Genesis and the creation of the world and, and how God led his people out of Egypt and, and about uh, the promises made and, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and then the law that was living on Mount Sinai. Uh, and it con constitutes the first five books of the Bible. And the prophets represent the rest of the Old Testament. It contains the testimony of God about himself, of creation, the fall of man, and God's plan to redeem mankind back to himself. Everything in between is God's dealings with man, primarily through his chosen people, Israel, and that we discover the nature of God, about his love, his holiness, his grace, his mercy, his patience. 
um, through the, the ways in which God interact, interacts with his people or he interacts with an unfaithful creation, a creation or, or mankind that has rebelled against him. And we find, we see God's amazing grace and patience um, with mankind throughout the actual Bible. The law and the prophets, therefore, is a witness. Now think carefully about this, okay? The law and the prophets is a witness to mankind um, or against mankind. And in God's own law, he repeats this over and over again that in, in, for any person to be convicted of anything, there had to be at least two witnesses. And God introduces this, uh, this principle in the Old Testament, but it continues in the actual New. God sees witnesses as a very important thing. You know, someone uh, who was charged with a, a punish, uh, with a crime punishable by death had to have at least two credible or eyewitnesses to testify. And they had to be independent. Deuteronomy 17.6 says, At the mouth of two, witness, two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness shall he not be put to death. So in God's law, uh, which was written in the, in the first five books in Deuteronomy, um, it says that you can't put anyone to death without at least two witnesses to confirm what they did. In fact, God made it <clears throat> pretty hard to, um, to put someone to death in the Old Testament because he adds another stipulation onto that. In Deuteronomy 17, <clears throat> verse 7, excuse me, it's at the hands of the witnesses themselves who have to cast the first stone. So it says there, that if you were to be a witness against someone who had murdered someone else, for instance, it says that you had to be the first one to actually um, begin the death penalty. Um, in verse Deuteronomy 17, verse 7, it says, The hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people, so shall... Uh, put the evil away from among you. So God expected those people who were witnesses to actually be part of the carrying out of the execution. How hard would that be if you were lying? First of all, present a false witness and then to carry out the execution as well. Any matter in the Old Testament um, required one way or the other at least two witnesses to be established and jesus repeats this principle when someone uh, has an accusation of even someone in the church today so if someone has a, an accusation against someone else <clears throat> two witnesses were necessary to establish whether it was true or not so in matthew chapter 18 verse 6 um there's there's a model that god gives us about you know, being reconciled to your brother. If someone's done something against you, uh, that's that's serious. And this is not like, you know, oh, you forgot to say good morning to me or something like that. Um, but but something that was serious, <clears throat> it says uh, it says that you're, you're meant to go and first recon try and reconcile yourself to your brother. So there needs to be room for repentance and room for forgiveness. But in um, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 16, it says, but he will not, if he will not hear thee, 
In other words, if he says, no, I want nothing to do with you, then it says, then take with uh, the one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So the same principle still holds. God doesn't, God, no conviction takes place uh, on the earth without, according to God, there being at least two witnesses to confirm what happened. And Paul repeats this, the Apostle Paul repeats this in 2 Corinthians 13.1. He says, this is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So the, the Old Testament car- or began, this, began this principle and is carried over into the New. In fact, the, the Magna Carta, uh, upon which the English and the Australian legal system uh, is built or are built, uh, require require at least two credible witnesses to determine the innocence or guilt of a person. Now, you can't put someone in jail, or you can't put someone you know, in jail for murder or robbery or whatever else, unless you have at least two credible witnesses. So why were these two necessary on the mountain? Because they essentially gave the testimony to the disciples as to the identity and fulfillment that Jesus was for their segments of the Old Testament. They represented these two portions of the Old Testament or the Bible up to that point. You see, there was no New Testament at, uh, uh, at that point. That's all they had of God's Word. And they represented those the fulfillment or the fullness of that, that testimony that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and this is what he would do and how he would fulfill prophecy. Turn with me. I want to share with you some, some scripture verses about um, this, these, uh, these prophet law and the prophets. So turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. Matthew 11, 13 says, For all the prophets and the law, the word prophecies means to, 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 to share something that God's given to you or something that's, that he's foretelling you. Um, so all of the uh, prophets uh, and the law prophesied until John. Now, what did John say? What was John's witness? Well, John had a very plain witness, a very simple one. John chapter 1, verse 29 says, The next day John seeth Jesus. This is John chapter 1, verse 29, if you want to write it down. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith in front of everyone, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, because he was before me. That was his testimony. That was his witness before other people. So the law and the prophets testified or prophesied until John the Baptist. All the Old Testament saints were essentially witnesses of God and gave their testimony to mankind. Or God was giving his testimony to mankind through the prophets. That testimony, like all testimonies given in a court of law, are recorded for our benefit and for a testimony against us, against mankind. This is why there were two witnesses on the mountain on that day. And why they were Moses and Elijah. God was fulfilling his own requirements, his own law. The law and the prophets testified concerning the coming of Jesus. Even when the disciples started following him, you have a situation where Philip calls Nathaniel 
when they first when Jesus first presents himself and and, and and makes these remarks. He says, it says in John chapter 1, verse 45, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. But don't just take my testimony on that. Let's hear what Jesus says about it. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 with me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. What does Jesus say about the law and the prophets? Because some people accuse Jesus of actually throwing away the law. Matthew 5, 17 says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. How did he fulfill? Well, the law he kept perfectly. He fulfilled the law of God perfectly. And, the, and thus the law had no, could have no accusing finger pointed at him. He was the spotless Lamb of God. He fulfilled, he satisfied all the prophecies concerning him. You remember the prophecies actually said he'd be born in Bethlehem, he'd be born of this particular lineage, this is the time frame he'd be doing it, he'd be, he'd be uh, treated in this particular way, and so on and so on. And there are hundreds of prophecies in the, in the Old Testament concerning the coming of Christ, and it would have been plain as the nose on your face when he arrived who he actually was especially when he began to heal the sick and to raise the dead. Every prophecy concerning his life, birth, life, death, resurrection, second coming and future reign were already recorded well before he was born and he perfectly was fulfilling them. And after he rose from the grave and appeared to some disciples on the road to Emmaus, look at how... He explained his death and resurrection to them because they were in mourning. They were still in shock. They couldn't understand if he was the Messiah, why he was in a grave, even though he wasn't. He'd already risen. But look at how Jesus uses the law and the prophets to explain to them who he was. Luke chapter 24, verse 27 says, And at beginning, and Moses... And all the prophets, he expounded unto them, which means he explained unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus used the law and the prophets, which testified about him, which were witnesses about him and that he was the savior of the world to explain who he actually was and why these things had to come to pass. Even Paul. If you're wondering how to share the gospel with people, you know what? It's a fantastic way to share the gospel by explaining to them, grabbing the Old Testament, saying these things were written, you know, hundreds and, and thousands of years before Jesus was born. Let me explain to you, look what was written, and now look what happened, what he did. And Acts chapter 28, verse 23, when Paul was in house arrest in Rome, uh, ready to see the uh, emperor or Caesar, it says in, in Acts 28, 23, and when they had appeared him a day, oh, sorry, when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him in his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus 
both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. Um, apparently, Paul could speak longer than I do um, about sharing the word of God. From morning till evening, he was explaining to people from Moses and the law and, uh, law and the prophets about Jesus and who he was. And this is the entire point of the sermon. It's all about Jesus. You see, the law and the prophets, which is all the Old Testament, all point to Jesus. Whether it was Moses and Elijah who represented those two portions, it was all there and they were there to testify about who Jesus was. And this is important for us because the whole Bible points to Jesus. The whole Bible points to God's plan of salvation for mankind. The whole Bible is about God's amazing love for mankind, even though we have fallen. It is a testimony about the righteousness that you and I can obtain, God's own righteousness, through Jesus, even though we are fallen. And that weakness comes from the law and the prophets. Turn me to Romans chapter 3, verse 21 for a moment. Romans 3.21. This is what I want to share with you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning that if you don't know Christ, if you have not been born again, if you have not been saved, if you have not understood that Jesus is the manifestation of God on this world. He came to save us himself. And that the Bible is really all about him and the way God has interacted with mankind and how much he loves mankind. Then my invitation to you this morning is to listen to the law and the prophets, to their witness about who he is. Because that's what Moses and Elijah were doing on that mountain. Romans chapter 3 verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets agree that there is a righteousness which you can obtain without trying to obey a law. Verse 22 says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ upon all, uh, unto all and upon all them that believe, there is, for there is no difference. There is no difference. doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, which part of the world you live in, which, which uh, group you belong to, what your background is, who your family is, what you've done, in the, whatever it is, there is a righteousness which you can obtain by simply having faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know, when Jesus said, told everyone there is no other way to the Father but by him, he was not kidding. He was serious. But men would have you believe otherwise. That's why that cloud came upon those trembling disciples, you see. Because even on that day, while Peter was there and he was excited to hear about a conversation with Moses and Elijah and Jesus taking place. It says that when he made that suggestion about building tabernacles, because he wanted to hear more of uh, all three of them. It says in Matthew 17, 5, it says, And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. When they lifted up their eyes only. Not only did God the Father verify the identity of his Son, 
But he finishes with the words, listen to him. And Moses and Elijah were gone. They'd done their job. In other words, this is my son. Listen to what he has to tell you. The prophets have already spoken. The law has already been given. And they verify who he is already. But now the message comes directly from God the Son himself. Yeah, while Peter may have been excited to hear Moses and Elijah, the message was clear. Listen to my son. And when they, when that cloud lifted and they opened up their eyes and looked up, it was only Jesus. Only Jesus. Now the Bible tells us in, in Hebrews that God in time past delivered his messages to mankind um, through the prophets and the fathers, or to the fathers by the prophets. It says in Hebrews 1-2, He hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things, by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews teaches, God used the prophets in the Old Testament to deliver his message to mankind. And to have those words recorded in the Bible. But the final message came through Jesus Christ. The final message of God to mankind is now called the New Testament. The reason it's called the New Testament is because it testifies about Jesus Christ. It testifies about him. All the Old Testament testifies about him and the New Testament testifies him. All the Old Testament is, is the prophecies and the law leading up to him and the New Testament says, look at how he's fulfilled all of that. This is why God the Father said, listen to him. And this is why only he was left there. And this is reason that we should look only to Jesus. There are plenty of people in the world who will tell you that is, look to Jesus and other, other things. Look to Jesus, but pray to a saint. Look to Jesus, but you also need something else. Look to Jesus, but also you need religion or you need something else to get you home. It's not. Salvation is by grace, by simple faith, and it's a gift that we receive. And that gift comes through Jesus. Everything we ever need is found in Christ, the revelation of God of himself to mankind and of his amazing love. Remember, for God's so only begotten Son. This book we call the Bible is a testimony of God to mankind. It's his testimony. He has given it. He has preserved it. And today, it can either stand as a testimony for you or a testimony against you. Will the law and the prophets declare you to be righteous because you are in Christ this morning? Or will the law and the prophets testify against you and declare you guilty before God because you have rejected the only Son of God? The choice is yours. That's your choice. 
And God's amazing that he gives us that free will. But understand something. It is your choice. But the consequences will also be yours too. Now, if I, if I see you driving towards a cliff and I shout out to you and say, stop before you reach the end, you have a choice. You can keep the accelerator down and keep on driving or you can put the brakes on. The choice is yours. You can, you can do either way. You can listen to me or you can reject me. This is my testimony to you. But if you reject the testimony of the law and the prophets, if you reject the testimony of the Son of God, the consequences will also be yours too. We are in a cosmic courtroom here. And this courtroom either will declare you one day guilty or innocent. Either Jesus pays the penalty for you and you are freed or you choose to wear your own penalty. Why do you think the Bible says that Jesus is our advocate? Why do you think that Jesus teaches that he is our mediator? Because this world has been charged with rebellion and sin. And Jesus Christ is God's provision to be declared innocent. So my challenge to you this morning is if you haven't received Christ, receive that forgiveness that comes in him or that comes through him. Understand that he paid the penalty for your sin on that cross. And all you have to do is repent, change your course and say, I believe, I believe in you. And I'm going to entrust my soul to you for all of eternity. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ this morning to save you, then the testimony of the law and the prophets can only be that you're innocent. Please come to Christ today and be saved. And if you are a believer this morning, then you're this world about him. You see, there were two witnesses on that mountain who were testifying about Jesus. In fact, three, if you count God the Father. And who were they testifying to? They were testifying to another three, Peter, James, and John. And what was their job? Their job, eventually, and Jesus says, I want you to hold this witness until I'm resurrected from the grave, and then I want you to share it with everyone else. Their job was to also be witnesses for Christ in this world. And we have these things recorded in our Bible because John, Peter, John and James were faithful witnesses. And our job is the same. For those of you who are saved and have received salvation in Jesus Christ, your job is to be his witness in this world, to testify that salvation comes through him, that he can change your heart, that he can give you peace, that he provides hope, that he is your salvation. God bless you all. I pray that you have a wonderful week and I pray that you grow closer to the Lord uh, during these coming days. Keep reading the word of God. Keep praying and keep trusting in Jesus. God bless you all.